With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 241 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Before we get into anything tonight, some important fun news. On Monday, June 12th, we are going to be at the Mets game, we being myself and Chris, and hopefully some other Amazing Avenue staffers. We are going to meet up in, uh, I believe, section 124 is what Chris and I settled on, but that might change, so tweet at us if you're coming to the game, and we will... Meet up and hang out. Uh, we're just going to kind of gather in a general standing area and get some beer, get some food, and watch the Mets and talk and have a good time. So if you're around Monday night with nothing to do, come to the Mets game. Uh, again, you can tweet at me, Brian is a nap, or Chris at Chris McShane, and we'll give you all the details and we'll keep in touch with you that day for that. So um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys can make it out to the show. Uh, Chris could not make it to this show, though, however, he pulled his back, which is something that happens to men in their 30s. I've done it a number of times. So we needed a pinch hitter, and we reached out to an old friend. And so former Amazing Avenue Audio host Jeffrey Paternostro sat in with me to talk about baseball and the mountain goats and uh, traveling and all sorts of other stuff. So anyway, here's that conversation. Enjoy. Well, Jeff, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Um, the most important thing we got to talk about before anything else what do you think of the new Mountain Goats record? So I've sat with it for about I don't know when I when my I was in I was out of town I was in Lakewood, and it like came in the mail while I was in Lakewood. So I've sat with it for about three weeks now. I'd say um, I think at the end of the day it's going to end up somewhere like in the middle of the pack of all Mountain Goats albums for me, which is you know not the worst place to be given my love of the band. I was a little bit worried when the initial single came out. Because I noticed, and they sort of mentioned that they worked with the Mad- Modest Mouse producer yeah. for this album, and it sounded a little Modest Mousey, and I was wondering if that was the direction the album was going to go. But that's really the only track with those sort of like 
Isaac Brockian production ticks, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were one of the folks who wishes they'd, uh, they'd strip it back down a little bit. I am not. Um, I do love the lo-fi era. Certainly. I would say like, uh, it just changes. Like I, so I, when I do prospect lists, in the off season, as part of that process, now I basically re-listen to the entire Mountain Goats discography <laughs> while I'm doing it. So, like my ranking of the albums changes every year at this point. Um, but I think it might be Zoe Pilot. Might be, and that's like sort of their the peak of their lo-fi era. Right, right. My favorite album at any given time. Um, but I really like We Shall Be Here. I like all the Vanderslice uh, albums they did together a lot, too. Uh, and the, even the more lush production. Like, he had a symphony orchestra, like, backing. It's just, like, funny to me. It's, like, it's gotten, like, so it's not just, like, well, we have, like, John Vanderslice producing us, like, analog, with that sort of, like, distinct sort of tiny telephone analog sound that's right. very different. Now it's just like, yeah, I have a symphony orchestra on this one. <laughs> like, and it's, they've become a very good, like, I've seen them live a bunch of times. Um, and they're just a very good live band at this point. Um, it's almost like, the, obviously, Peter Hughes and Darnell go way back, but, you know, John Worcester is kind of like a ace-in-the-hole drummer for them. I mean, do is a super chunk, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and they've added, I can't remember his name, but they've added like a horn player in the last couple tours and the last couple albums who's excellent, sort of a jack-of-all-trades guy. I believe well. he's now an official member I think as he of is. this record, yeah. yeah. He's at least in like all the promotional photos. So I think that's sort of like where the uh, the cutoff point is for being an official. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm one of the weirdos who uh, The Life of the World to Come is my favorite. Oh, I love that album. Record. That would usually be top two or three for me. Okay. Uh, I actually, and I really liked Beat the Champ. I mean, obviously, that's completely and utterly in my wheelhouse. So right. <laughs> it's, it can be difficult for me to sort of separate. I almost have to, like, keep it outside of the discography when ranking it. Because I was not, I was probably three years too young for this album to really to hit me in that sweet spot. Like, the goth friends I had in high school were all a couple years older than me. Right. So I was sort of on the periphery of that scene. Um, but it's like a really, it's just like a, you know, it, it's a quieter album, I guess. Rain in Soho is probably the only real banger on it. Um, I saw he retweeted someone that made the point that he thought it was sort of a, a paired album with uh, Get Lonely in that way, which I don't know that I see entirely. For me, it sounds way more like uh, like Transcendental Youth. but I can see that. Yeah, for for the for the five listeners that are huge Mountain Goats fans, this has been a thrilling conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. But no, maybe we've already lost the plot. That's the... <laughs> that's right. No, I figure you know we both like the Mountain Goats. We don't talk all that often, so here we go. Yeah, yeah. Deal with it, listeners. Uh... <laughs> I'm seeing him. Uh, he's opening for J the Jason Isbell band in like three weeks in New Haven. So I'm oh really? Yeah, it actually works out perfectly because uh, that venue is like across the street from my favorite cocktail bar. And, like, usually if I'm there for a full show, I'm too old at this point to, like, go out drinking after that, have right. a couple cocktails after, like, a, a full show. But since he's opening, I can, like, get out the door by, like, 9.30, and it's fine. I mean, it's 10.30 now, and I'm drinking uh, herbal tea because I'm 35 now. I can't drink this late at night. <laughs> I, too, am 35, so uh, I'm drinking water right now. I had, like, a beer and a half with dinner, and I uh, I did. I had a cocktail with dinner, and, yeah, it's time to ease it off caffeine-free. This is exciting stuff. Wild times on Amazing Avenue Audio. Exactly. Speaking of wild times, Dylan G just pitched against the Mets. Yeah, it's so I was having a conversation with a scout not too long ago, and there's sort of like how we categorize players. And he was uh, the team that he works for only allows him to use whole number grades. Okay, so that's no, interesting. No, no forty-five, no fifty-five. It's got to be two, two through eight. So you got to make calls and whatnot. But he said the one grade he really wanted to have was a 45 because there are guys sort of like in that below average major league regular range that, you know, will be good 
like your good platoon bats. I think that the comp we came up with, he happened to be on the TV in the bar we were at at the time, was like Seth Smith. Okay. Because he's got to be platoon. He's a corner outfielder without like big time hitting power tools, but he's a very useful player. He'll play forever in that role, which is separate from a guy like this is a pitcher position player comparison. So it's not going to work so well, but like Dylan G, where he was a four for a number of years, you know, below average starter, but fine. And then like, but those guys slip. And when they slip, you get what happened tonight. <laughs> you can go from a four to a three. It's like quickly. I think in the same way, you don't really go from a 45 to a three. Right. That makes sense. But Dylan G is now a three. And yet he's so, he looked maybe better than DeGrom. He was not the worst pitcher in that game. So I got <laughs> no. asked after DeGrom's last outing if like, oh, is DeGrom broken? Like we just, at this point, Mets fans are just panicking around every single pitcher. And, I mean, who can blame them right. in the first eight weeks of the season? But, like, oh, you know, every he's coming off 120 pitches. Did that make a difference? I don't know. Like, sometimes you just have a bad command game. It happens. That happens again, and you're just like, well, now I don't know. It's I mean, Chris Sale's had three bad starts in a row. Not to this degree, but it can still happen. It's Texas. Ball travels. The Mets' defense is bad. All these things are true. I mean, I know last time on this podcast I did a what's wrong with Jacob deGrom or is there anything wrong with Jacob deGrom segment. He reeled off like the best 15 consecutive starts in like Mets history or something. (laughs) Well, good. Let's hope that that happens again. No, you know, the the thing with deGrom is just that deGrom sort of got lost over the last couple years because Harvey was Harvey and Syndergaard was Syndergaard. Sure. And, and and even the, you know the story of Matt's being a local kid takes on some extra flavor, and so Degrom has just been this steady, really good pitcher. But when everybody else is gone, you start to realize, oh shit, he's really good, and he's oh, been yeah. really consistent. And then when that guy goes down too, it's just it 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 feels it just hurts a little bit more. Just like the last guy. Too. Yeah, I mean exactly. Zach Wheeler has been fine, but he's basically looked like. 2014 Zach Wheeler, so. Yeah, and we know that Wheeler is pretty much at half of his innings for the year already. Yeah. So even if he's, you know, Cy Young the rest of the season, you're, you're not going to get much of, out of him, so. Tyler yeah. Pill will make more starts for the Mets this year. That's my bold prediction. I don't think it's that bold. <sighs> I mean, you're he's not on the 40-man roster, so. Yeah, you're not wrong. I, I keep thinking that they're going to, quote, send Gazelman to the pen, and then he's going to make a start the next week. And that's just going to be the pattern They're for the They're already kind of floating a six-man rotation. Which exactly. Doing for at least a few weeks, maybe like to the All-Star break or something. Yeah. And then reassess then. Yeah. Because you know, it's getting even getting Mats and Lugo an extra day rest, given what they're coming off of, won't be the worst idea in the world. Yeah, and you would hope that... And like nothing matters, this team's terrible at ERBs. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, is that you hope that maybe you spotlight somebody in that six-man rotation you can flip for a useful piece. But... I guess, but who are you really trading out of that? You've got just a litany of injured dudes. Um, you know, DeGrom would be like the guy if you wanted to make a mega deal, but You're the last two that. starts are going to – it does start to – teams will start to at least pay attention to these samples right before the trade deadline. So right. it'll, it'll sour enough teams on him probably. At least there'll be concerns. They'll want to see medicals, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you would just hope that there's a team out there stupid enough – to see three good Gazelman starts and trade a decent prospect for him. I don't see that happening. And that's like, those trades never happen because you still have six years of control on Gazelman. I mean, really what you need is like Addison Reed to be lights out for a month. That's fair. That's where you're going to get back. If you're going to get back. Or Blevins, maybe. Or Blevins. We talked about this a little on, on For All You Kids this week. Blevins is a What's weird that? one. <laughs> My VP Mets podcast. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about Blevins this week just because everyone always needs a left-handed reliever. Because that's the thing. Like, the position players are going to be tough to deal just because if you're a good playoff contending baseball team, there's a pretty good chance you have a corner outfielder as good or better than Jay Bruce or an, and a first baseman as good or better than Lucas Duda to name a couple examples. And even if it's a small upgrade, you're not going to pay a ton for that. Everybody needs left-handed pitching. That is true. And Blevins get the cheap option for 2018 as well. Yeah. 
And yeah. Addison Reed, every like someone can trade for Addison Reed and make him their seventh inning guy. Yeah, you know, I could see Houston's bullpen hasn't exactly been lights out. I could see that happening. I mean, Davinsky's been great, but Giles is a little shaky. Adding another arm in there, Gregerson's been a little shaky. Like that's the kind of move like almost any team at the deadline will make. Like the Mets have the last two years when they when they were contenders, right? Now, uh, Chris has taken over the uh, the Rob role of being the eternal optimist about the Mets. Yeah, and I mean, it's not good. you're not going to get that from me, guys. No, <laughs> and, and I was going to say I, I don't think I'm quite the pessimist about the team that, that you have been in various times in your in your Mets career. But do you have any hope left for this season? So. And I'm not talking statistically. I'm talking about just in terms of when you watch the, the games. Do you have any hope that you're watching a game in October? I don't think so. Because, like, there's a couple things that separate this year out from the last couple. They've dug themselves a deeper hole than the last few years. There's just more teams between them and the second wild card, and I think better teams. Like, the like they'd have to basically outplay the Cubs by seven or eight games. It's part of whatever else they would have to do. They'd have to outplay the Cubs the rest for the rest of the year by, like, seven games. I don't know that that's entirely likely. Yeah, that's um, fair. It's I, just such I, a – It's. I mean, you guess maybe the NLS teams will beat up on each other enough once they get into the division that maybe that'll bring some of them back to the pack. I don't know how the Rockies are doing this. I've seen all of those Rockies pitchers over the last <laughs> couple of years because they're starting all the kids that came through Hartford, and I don't know how that's – working but and sure and basically their entire offense is Arenado and Blackman so maybe they come back down to earth and the Rockies tend to do this they tend to fade faster than this but they've tended to do this the last few years I don't think you can I, I I'm not gonna come on here and proclaim hashtag RIP 2017 Mets yet I just don't know that I see that big late season run in them like they've had the last couple of years I don't know that they have the pitching to sort of jumpstart that i know they hit a ton too but you know they got i don't know i'd look at the numbers a dozen maybe 15 really good starts from gazelman and lugo down the stretch last year to you know buoy a rotation that had lost the grom and mats i mean still obviously had syndergaard but and, and bartolo but they don't that's unless the rotation sorts itself out and look maybe mats and lugo are the guys that come in and do that you know, Lugo's pitching with a sprained UCL, and Matt's, I mean, maybe you just get the 140 innings he gives you every year on the back end, and they're fine even Matt's innings. It's certainly possible, but, you know, sort of the clock starts now, and recent returns have not been great. Yeah, my, my only real hope comes in either Matt's or Lugo looking really good for the rest of the season, Getting Syndergaard back in mid to late August is a nice, you know, if, if they're if they're anywhere close to the second wild card, getting Syndergaard back is a big boon. But he's only pitching once every five days. I don't think there's a natural spot on the team for an offensive upgrade this season uh, via the trade market. I just don't see there being a partner that makes sense. And so you gotta hope that Cespedes comes back. That everybody is healthy and everybody hits really, and then the Conforto has his April two more times within the, the season. That Duda has his May two more times for the end of the season, and that Granderson has one more May in him. And you I mean, hope you put all that together, get, yeah. and maybe I mean, you get something. You have to win a bunch of seven to five games, is what it, what it yes, really comes down to. Exactly. And look, the off. If you told me on April first, you'd be sitting here on June sixth, and the Mets were a League average offensive team. It's exactly a 100 weighted runs created plus as play began today. You know, I'd say I figured they'd be in pretty good shape given the, the pitching. It, whatever my concerns were about the general pitching depth, um, I thought you can get average offensive support. That's basically what they've had the last couple of years when it's all come out in the wash and they've been the upper 80s win team yeah i'm not quite ready to call it yet but i'm getting close yeah i mean they're i mean they're literally a bad road trip away from pretty much 
having a hole they can't dig out of. And so far, that's not looking great. <laughs> yeah. Three quarters of a game are it's, telling us that. It's uh, been pretty ugly. Yeah. It's a weird road trip, too. Cause it's like a two-game series with a day off on either side of it. Normally, if this was team was good, that would be the kind of thing like, ah, I'd be like agitating for more Mets baseball. I could use the two days this week. Yeah, absolutely. Do other things. Better call Saul's not going to watch itself on Mondays. Yeah. So, um, now when uh, when I was talking to Chris earlier about having you on the show, by the way, Chris hurt his back. He says hi to everybody. Uh, he, he said that you wanted to talk about uh, a certain Mets prospect, and uh, when I asked you about it before, you said you wanted to talk about him because you wanted to somewhat uh, throw some shade on one of our contributors. So I'm just going to let you have the floor here, Jeff. Well, first I want to say I warned Chris a few years ago that once he turned 30, his back was going to start falling apart because that's just a thing that happens. Yes, it is. As I can also attest to my like terrible posture at work has slowly turned me into a cripple. But yes, yeah, so I saw that our hour, I saw that Amazing Avenue's prospect i still you feel still some, you, I, I feel you still troll in the slack come on i do troll in the slack and i feel somewhat responsible for unleashing some of these people on your listeners slash readers but i saw steve sipa so that desmond Lindsay's stock was down just i thought his name was sipa yeah real funny <laughs> two years i did a podcast with him never corrected me it's not like you know i have a track record of care of, of uh, being particularly prickly about being told i'm pronouncing someone's name wrong <laughs> <laughs> so yeah desmond Lindsay is hitting let's see i'll get the exact up to date i think he had another home run he had like a two-run double tonight but i'll get the exact up-to-date stats on what he's hitting for the columbia fireflies assuming my computer will load with any sort of alacrity it will not Right, yes, he is hitting 171, 322, 321 in 174 plate appearances as a 20-year-old, I think. Yes, a 20-year-old in a ball. He's fine. He's, he's looked great. Like, I saw him. He looked good. Another one of our writers saw him look great. I've talked to some scouts that have seen him. They think he might be the best prospect on that team. Like, it just doesn't matter that he's hitting 170. I don't care. And What's I don't Tebow think he really care. Tebow is hitting two, two. I think last I looked, it was like an empty two thirty. Tebow mania, man. I was there for that. That was uh, that was an experience, especially in like Ocean County, New Jersey, to see like <laughs> swaths of Florida Gators merchandise. But yeah, it's like he looks he looks exactly the same as the guy I saw last year that looked very good. Um, he's a two twenty one BABIP. Does that matter? I don't really care about minor league BABIP. I don't care about minor league batting average. But everything looked like it was in his right, right place. He just needs game reps. I think he's still probably with Gazelman graduating. Um, and until we have more information on Zapucky's recovery from his shoulder impingement, a top five prospect in the system, uh, if I was writing him today, I... I don't think I would change the ultimate tool grade. I think I wrote him as a OFP 60, likely 45 last year. He's still incredibly high risk, but I just see people freaking out. I saw, especially like in the comment sections, I still do read the comment sections. It's a lot more fun to read when I'm not writing the stuff uh, <laughs> above it. I found and just people freaking out about Desmond Lindsay. It's fine. Yeah. He's striking out 29% of the time. That's not great. Uh, he's not really swinging and missing that much. Certainly not from what I saw and from some other, Sources I've talked to about him, he's running deep counts at between a seventeen percent walk rate, and it's it's a kind of passivity I think that can be fixed. I know we've had that conversation with regards to Brandon Nemo for six years now, but I don't think it's uh, I don't think anything for concern there. Don't be worried about Desmond Lindsay. You can be a little worried about Justin Dunn now. I think if you want to be a little worried about Justin Dunn, if you want to transfer your worry someplace else. Yeah, if you want to transfer your worries someplace else. I saw in the, this morning in the comments section, people are already souring on Dom Smith. He's not hitting for enough power in Vegas. So, Man, just, I don't. It, it never, nothing ever changes in that in the prospect report comment sections. I am somebody who has no self control in eighty percent of my life, if not ninety percent of my life. But I never read comments. I I have I have to say I'm I'm good about that because nothing good comes from that. It's fine. It is what it is. <laughs> 
who else you hot on this season while we have you on the podcast? Who else is uh, who's going to make a big jump in your prospect rankings at the end of the think, year? I don't think anyone is from like a Mets point of view. It's like it's like the second straight year. I feel like there's been no interesting like breakout guys for whatever reason. I mean, I guess Gazelman technically last year, but. And Zapaki too. That came later in the season. There might be some short season guys. Um, I've got a pretty good report on Dyson Acosta, who was a 17 year old. Well, he's 18 this year. Um, they signed him as a signed him as a 17 year old. Yeah, he got signed last year. I think he got signed as a 17 year old for 70,000. It's like a velocity pop up guy. It was up to 95 and extended with four pitches. So I don't know if I'll go to the GCL or Kings for it, but he's at least a guy to keep an eye on. It could have sort of like a Marcos Molina type breakout potentially. I don't know if that's like a remotely accurate comp, but just sort of a guy that pops up out of a, out of a strong complex league season, like Molina did in 2012, 13, 14, 2013, I think that's why I'm in 14, 15, 16, no 2013. Yeah. I find at this point, I've been doing it for so long. I forget what year anything happened in. (laughs) I couldn't remember what year Ahmed Rosario came stateside the other day. Just, I got to look these things up or like dig into my notes. Like I use them in mind, like a steel trap for this kind of stuff. And, when you do 30 teams, it turns out it goes away very quickly. Yep. Makes sense. It does not linger. Um, there's a few other interesting... I don't like... I don't think there's any like potential breakout. Luis Silva, I'm guessing, is probably going to be the big-name starter at Brooklyn this year. It's like the polished strike-throwing Latin signing that has like ridiculous numbers in the Penn League. He's already got a Tommy John on his resume, so there's that, but... Yeah, that guy had a little bit of helium at the end of last year um, between the complex. And I think he made like one pop-up start in Columbia at the end of the year. Andres Jimenez is, of course, an exciting name now that he got pushed to full-season ball about a month ago. Then about a month in Colombia as an 18-year-old, seven-figure signing out of Venezuela a couple of years ago. I wrote about him for BP fairly extensively. I still don't have a great handle on him. It's just, as I wrote in the piece, kind of a weird profile. I'm not super confident he's a shortstop long-term. He might be. He's like one of those guys that's in the bucket that I don't know. It's a weird body type. It's a weird swing. Not a weird swing, but it's a... It's a. He's not physically strong enough to make the swing work yet, while the swing itself is probably fine. Uh, while we're talking long-term, where do you see Lindsay long-term in the outfield? I don't think he's a center fielder. Uh, you know, assuming the leg issues don't continue to recur and maybe sap some of the athleticism, I think he's fine there. Um, I was impressed. I've always sort of been impressed with his roots and instincts, given that he has very few reps out there. And he's a plus runner at present. I don't see that changing. He's pretty well physically maxed. I don't think he's going to add weight. He's very athletic, very athletic frame. I think he just sort of stays a plus runner. So I think he'll be fine in, in center field long-term. I He'd have to go to left if he did move because the arm's not going to play in right. That's sort of the one weakness in his defensive game right now. Uh, anybody? It's like, no. like It's really bad in the upper minors right now, too, outside of the, you know, the obvious names like Rosario and Smith. There's no pitching. I'm hoping to get a look at... Chris Flexen at the end of the month with Binghamton. They're in town, but I don't know if there's been a huge change there. I don't think either of our Florida guys saw him. They both saw Justin Dunn like three times and somehow missed Flexen. But <laughs> don't know how that happens. The vagaries of uh, prospect watching. But yeah, that's like, you know, Zapaki was hurt. You know, he was a guy that could have made a big jump if he was healthy and doing what he did in short season this year and full season. I think Dom Smith's pretty much been in a holding pattern. Rosario's, like, better than he was last year. Better prospect, as funny as that is for a top 10 guy. But there's just not much room for him to move. I don't even know if he'll make our midseason list because we don't rank guys that will be in the majors. And by all rights, he probably should be in the majors by then if for no other reason that someone will get hurt in the interim. Uh, Dunn hasn't been great. Jimenez, I think it's Jimenez's stock is up, but... It's a guy that was always capable of doing this with a good first season state side where he at least holds his own. I mean, I guess you could see like Gregory Guerrero 
who was their other big seven-figure signing the same year as Jimenez breakout. He's like a little toolsier, might have to move to third, a little more upside in the bat kind of guy. There's a few other like rando guys I've gotten good reports on from extended spring training. Cameron Plank, they gave a million to in the draft, is apparently starting in Kingsport. I'll be there for a week in July, which is always a good time to go to <laughs> Tennessee. The weather's great, generally speaking, just great. I usually stay in Johnson City because it's about it's about a 25 minutes from the hotel to Hunter Wright Stadium. Uh, on 17, I think, is the highway. I don't even remember anymore. 17 or 81. That doesn't make any sense. It would have to be an even number if it was running east-west. It's that low. But whatever it is, um, without fail, every year I'll be driving back in just an absolutely hellacious thunderstorm on these like winding, unlit Tennessee highways. <laughs> right. Because I refuse to stay in Kingsport because there's just nothing to do there. And actually the hotels are cheaper in Johnson City, so... What's the drive like from Connecticut to Kingsport? 13 hours-ish. Between 11 and 13 hours, depending on traffic, weather, how many times I stop. Okay. It's not awful. I, in the past, I've broken it up. Um, we'll stay with my wife's friends in uh, Northern Virginia for like the weekend before, but I think this year I'm just going to do it straight through, and it's going to be... I made the drive. It's not the worst. I drive a lot for these kind of things, so 13 hours doesn't really bother me. Lots of podcasts to listen to. Yeah. The Fall of Rome has been my recent uh, sort of go-to. I'm not familiar. Sell me on it. It is a podcast um, about the Fall of Rome, literally, by oh, a okay. uh, by a PhD, well, a PhD graduate. Now, he got his PhD in Roman history. And so it goes through various topics, you know, relating to the To the fall of Rome. It's very dense. So, like, some of the tides, like, it, so, let's see, I'll talk about, like, one episode's about the fall of Roman Britain, specifically. Um, and one's about the Vandals in Roman Africa. So he goes through all of it. He talks about sort of the barbarian army in the frontier and gets into the Roman economy before the fall. And, uh, it's interesting. I'm, like, four or five episodes behind now, so... I read about the kingdom of the listen to the kingdom of the Visigoths. That sounds uh, interesting. It's uh My mother was a European history major, so I still have some sort of like vestigial genetic history nerdism. Got it. Left in me. And it's like easy to just sort of put on and drive to and if you space out, it's not the end of the world. There are certain podcasts you can space out to and <laughs> others that require a more careful listen. Yeah, certainly like this one. Of course. Can't miss anything here. Uh, no. Of course, uh, my dad wrote a porno is the other one that... Uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with, with that either. So how he, I figured my dad wrote a porno right up your alley. Um, it sounds like it. What is it? So the premise is they're already on season three, so you have a lot of catching Holy up. Holy shit. Um, so this... I, I don't know what his actual job is. I think he's a radio presenter. But uh, this sort of like average English chap's father retired... And started self-publishing these terrible erotic novels. <laughs> so he and a couple of his comedian friends, every week they read a chapter and like comment on it as they go through. I'm subscribing right now. Yeah, this description does not do it justice. Um, but yeah, it's uh, kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. It's like wildly popular. It has like a ton of famous like celebrity fans at this point. They've had a bunch of them on, like Elijah Wood and Rachel Bloom from uh, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Michael Sheen was on last season and was, like, really into it, like, intensely into it. Wow. I, I guess, I think having that second kid to be in for uh, yeah, fair for, enough. for podcast shit, so my dad... I would not recommend listening to it in front of the kid. No, I... That's the reason earbuds were invented, Jeffrey. Yes, yes. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about while while we have you here? Mets related or otherwise? I think we pretty much covered all of the basics. Can I plug our city field event in a month? Yeah, I'm going to try and be there for it. So July 1st, we're doing our baseball prospectus day at city field. If you've been to them in the past, it's pretty much the same. As always, if you haven't been, you get 
in before the game, which will also give you an in, I think, to get in as Drupal Cabrera Bobblehead. It's a Drupal Cabrera Bobblehead day. And you get in early. We go up to the little auditorium there. There's a panel with Sandy Alderson and TJ Barra, the Mets Director of Analytics this year. And then a, pan a panel of schmoes like me and others from Baseball Prospectus. Uh, Craig Goldstein, our minor league editor, will be there. Brett Sayre, our managing editor. Kate Feldman and uh, Jarrett Seidler, who I'm sure will be familiar to listeners of this podcast. Uh, Wilson Caraman, another one of our prospect team members, is actually out from the West Coast. I think he's up for Sabre because it's also Sabre weekend in the city. So you can make it a twofer if that's the kind of thing that interests you. And then we watch the game and they'll probably just go drinking Queens afterwards. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. I've been two or three times. And uh, if familial responsibilities allow me to, I'll be there again this year. So check uh, it out. All we ask is you just be like, so I think the last couple times we've done it, the Mets have been good enough that the Alderson Q&A has been pretty convivial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I'm going to be at the Camden Yards one two weeks before. And I do wonder if that'll give me at least a little bit of a preview because I know the Orioles fans at present are not thrilled. The Orioles are fine. I mean, they're like three games out of the division lead right now, but they've been bad recently. So I think there's been some agita in the fan base around Dan Duquette. So I'm yeah. see how that plays out. The first year I went, it, I was there. It was my uh, my 30th birthday. Actually, it was five years ago now. And it was the day after the Santana no-hitter. Yes, I was at that one too. I think uh, Chris was as well. Yeah, this is so before I knew either of you guys though. Yep. And uh, I remember Alderson, you know, was sufficiently giddy about the no-hitter. Oh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, Dickey pitched a complete game that day. He did. It was against, uh, was against the Cardinals again. Yes. He pitched yep. a complete game 10K something. Yeah. That, yeah, was, 10 strikeouts. that yeah. was during that magical uh, Dickey year. It was. Oh, the good old days of Dickey. He has, uh, well, he's been okay for them. He has not been as bad as Bart for the Braves this year. No. It's very sad Bart went on the DL instead of them just DFAing him. I guess you got to keep him around. When's the actual – I always forget. When's the Bartolo bobblehead day? It's against the Mets, isn't it? I believe it is, I think it's yeah. this month at some point. I guess you got to keep him around for that. That's a bobblehead I do want. I'm not a big bobblehead collector, but that would be a fun one to get. I have – I actually ordered Clark Toys, did a uh, special edition bobblehead – of his home run. Oh, nice. So that sits on my desk at work along with like 10 other bobbleheads. Did you ever find, what was the, what was the one you were chasing? The Ismero Petit, yeah, the Petit St. Lucie one. Mets. I do. It's on my desk right here. It's right in front of me. I'll bobble it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're like tiny. So I, I, I bet I, I had like a eBay alert set up for it, but it never actually like, keyed off it i think probably because the way they phrase it because and there was it was a set of five that year so i ended up having to buy all five are any of the other ones uh heads. decent there's a kaz matsui one. Oh, that's fun <laughs> yeah it's uh matsui Wright, piazza reyes and petite mm -hmm. two of these things are not like the others yes um i uh i was in the market for a new guitar a few months ago and i almost sold my gary keith and ron bobblehead Oh, geez. Yeah, those go, so go for a pretty penny. Yeah, uh, so... The gnomes are, like, out of control, too. Yeah, they are. I, I was at the Cindergard gnome game last season, and I got there what I felt was a fair amount of time early. I wasn't going to wait in line or anything. Yeah, no. It's, but it was it's, gone. It was, it was long yeah, gone. I have tickets for the Cindergard bobblehead day this year, and I'm just planning on... Flipping those? No, no, I'm going to keep it. I keep all my bobbleheads. Do you have one ticket or two tickets? tickets? No, um, I got one ticket. Uh, okay. Jarrett got an extra ticket. He's a season ticket holder, so we went on the exchange and got an extra one for me. So we may just like literally camp out in front of the uh, <laughs> one of the rotundas at like three in the afternoon and record a podcast sitting there waiting <laughs> for the. Uh, <laughs> it's a little funny for your time. When I, I guess you're going to do it, you got to do it. But I also, my father has been very insistent to go down uh, to a Cyclones game this year. So I'm like, all right, I will. I'll. I'll go. I won't even work. Like, I'll, whatever, I'll sit in the bleachers and have a couple of beers. Like, like, it's profoundly uncomfortable for me to do it a minor league game. I'm fine doing it at Mets games. God knows I need it. But, like, I'm always still a little leery about going to a minor league game and having a beer. Just, it's so ingrained in my DNA now. But what I didn't realize is it's Ahmed Rosario Gnome Day as well. Oh, okay. 
for the first, if it's only for the first 2,000 fans and it's a Saturday night game, so they're probably going to get six or seven. So I'm deciding if I, I had to debate if I want to make an effort to get the Ahmed Rosario gnome or not. I, uh, I'm going in early August to a Cyclones game. I was very hungover one morning. Uh, my, my wife and I were on vacation, and I got an alert on my phone that it was the Sandlot day. Yes, it is. And uh, it seemed like a really good idea at the time to buy a couple of tickets to that. So that's I, I believe it's a squint bobblehead. It is a squint bobblehead. So yes. I'll, I'll have that in my collection. I'd say they do an absolutely fabulous job with like the promotions down there. Yeah, every year there's an Edgardo Alfonso starting lineup figure this year too. That's fun. There was like one I don't remember what the bobblehead was, but it was something pretty good. I mean, they obviously did the Wilmer Flores Tears to Cheers. <laughs> yeah. One, which I still, I, that was one of the things I meant to get on eBay, like in the off season. After some of the saturation, let's see if they're still available. Uh, 40 bucks is like the upper limit of what I'll pay for a bobblehead, I think. What's it going for? 40 bucks. Oh, so it's actually going for 40. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I'm not morally opposed to it, but. It also doesn't look like Wilmer Flores at all. No, it looks not. <laughs> the haircut's like it's the haircut's the problem. It's not quite Jeter's uh, Jeter's statue bad, but it's pretty bad. Like it really doesn't. Like I'm trying to think of it. I don't know. I guess he just kind of has like a. I don't want to say a generic face because that seems like very. <laughs> I don't know. It's like not like a it's problematic like, phrase for a lot of reasons. A, yes, but it's like there's no like distinctive. Like if you're making like if you're making a Bartolo Colon bobblehead, I feel like it's like sort of like the roundness and like the hair is very distinctive. Yes. Or like Dickie has got the beard that's very distinctive. Um, I think Lucas Duda has this problem to a certain extent. Just like standard white guy look. Yeah, it's just not. And David Wright, I've never seen a good David Wright bobblehead for that reason. Like you know, buzz cut and dimples. Yeah, you really have nothing to. I guess as the designer, you really have nothing to really glom on to but it shouldn't be this hard you'd think you'd hope well I, since we've devolved into <laughs> Brooklyn bobblehead talk I think it's probably time to wrap this up it's, good. Uh, it's still shorter than anything else I've ever done podcast related that is probably memory, true. So. <laughs> thanks Jeff thank you hi this is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio and we are going to take another tour around the National League East because there's a lot going on in baseball right now, and a lot of it is not happening for the Mets as they just dropped their series opener to the Texas Rangers on Tuesday night. So let's get going. We have the Washington Nationals at the top of the division. They continue to roll. They're now up 12 and a half games over the Mets and the Braves. Both those teams are tied for second place and just barely in front of Miami. But the Nationals have won three in a row now, seven of their last eight. They just defeated the Dodgers two to one last night, on which is Tuesday night. And a lot of that was because of Max Scherzer striking out 14 batters, having a great performance, and they pull away with the 2-1 to win. There's a gif floating out there on the internet because cameras caught Max Scherzer kind of swearing into his glove as he's staring down Chase Utley. So that could be a fun thing for Mets fans to look at, certainly something a lot of Mets fans can relate to, so that's pretty cool. At the end of the game, Coda Coda Glover, who we were talking about last week, has done a great job in the closer role. He does indeed lock down this one, but then the bench is clear momentarily because he kind of has an incident with Yasiel Puig. They were barking at each other. Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, but after the game, Glover said about Puig, he was staring at me. I didn't like it, and that's why they felt the need to kind of yell at each other a little bit and uh that's kind of an example of what's wrong with baseball right now but again fortunately no one threw any punches but uh it's it's interesting to see the Nationals get into an incident like this again although the one they had with San Francisco certainly wasn't instigated by 
Bryce Harper. We talk about Hunter Strickland throwing a pitch at Harper because of something that happened three years ago. And then this thing happened, which is just silly and uncalled for. So the Nationals are doing really well. Move on to the Braves, tied with the Mets for second place. They just lost two straight to the Phillies, or they would have second place all to themselves. And they continue to be a little bit surprising, especially with Freddie Freeman on the disabled list with a fractured wrist. This team hasn't completely gone in the tank yet. A lot of that is due to Matt Adams. He's hit five home runs in 15 games since the Braves made a kind of strange trade for him to replace Freddie Freeman. This team, you have to hand it to them. They obviously care, still care about winning games, even though they're still in a rebuilding state and could get a better draft pick if they don't trade for first baseman like Matt Adams. But he's been really good for them. And they, they continue to make things interesting in the division. And it could be even more interesting if Bartolo Colon gave them some good innings like he gave the Mets last year, but he has not performed well, and now he's on the disabled list with an oblique strain. The word is that even when he gets over this injury, he might not return to the rotation. He might be pushed to, to the bullpen. So maybe that opens up the Mets for a midseason acquisition. Maybe it doesn't, but... Um, it's it's uh, kind of sad to see this crazy Cologne run maybe coming to an end here as he's 44 years old. It's been an unbelievable run for the sexy right-hander. And we'll move on to Miami. The Marlins won three of four against Arizona, including the incredible Edison Volquez no-hitter. They've since lost two straight on the road to the Chicago Cubs. But back to that Volquez no-hitter, it really came out of nowhere he was acquired to help Miami's pitching staff after they tragically lost Jose Fernandez last year. They just needed someone to come in and give them solid innings because the pitching, starting pitching staff is really the weakness of this team. But it wasn't over the weekend when Volquez struck out 10 batters, walked two in a, in a no-hitter where he went the distance throwing fewer than 100 pitches which is really amazing in this day and age, especially since in his previous outings, he was going six innings, throwing 90-something pitches. So for him to go nine and throw less than 100, really coming out of nowhere and an outstanding performance by by Volquez. And it's it's good to see this Marlins team being able to celebrate a pitcher like that after the death of Fernandez, although... It is pretty crazy. They've had six no-hitters since coming into the the major leagues in 1993, which is it's awesome for them. It's, it's just funny how stuff like that works. The Mets, of course, only have one no-hitter in their entire history of greater than 50 years, and the Marlins just can't get away from winning, from uh, from getting no-hitters and winning world championships out of the wild card spot, but. Right now, the team still has a lot of work to do. They are 13 games out of first place, and only a half, but only a half game behind the Mets and Atlanta for second place. So, in the basement is the Phillies, and they've had a lot of interesting things happen to them lately because of comments made by their legendary slugger, Michael Jack Schmidt, about Odubel Herrera on Tuesday morning. Schmidt was talking to a radio station in Philadelphia, and he was talking about Herrera being a leader and how it's tough for him to be a leader because he doesn't speak English that well, apparently. I'm not that familiar with Herrera's English skills. He is 25-year-old and from Venezuela. Um, but the point is, Schmidt's comments didn't go over very well, and it was interpreted that Herrera and other Spanish speakers couldn't be leaders because of the language they speak, but which is which is unfortunate. And I think Schmidt could have gone over a lot better if he also let it let it let it out that hey, it's also it's also hard for a guy to be a leader if he only speaks English because there's so many Spanish speaking players in the league that if you only speak one language, either way, it can be tough to be a clubhouse leader. Although the question he was asked was poised as, 
who you want to be build a team around, but he kind of took that into a leadership direction and he is he's right if it's player only speaks Spanish, it's going to be hard to be a leader in the clubhouse, but he he would have gone over better if he said, "Hey, if you only speak English, it's also hard because we have all these great Spanish speaking players." And this is outside the National East, but it also leads into later the same evening on Tuesday, Jerry Remy, the analyst for Red Sox broadcast, said that he didn't like that that translators, because Masahiro Tanaka was pitching for the Yankees that night, he didn't like that translators were allowed on the field and that pitchers should learn to speak baseball language, which obviously not in, interpreted in a positive light. I kind of agree that it's weird to see translators on the field on the mound when they go out for the mound visit. It's one thing if they're at the press conference and doing stuff with the press and helping the the player acclimate himself that way, but for them to be out on the mound is a little strange. But then again, I think Remy, like the rest of us, wants to see the best players in the world play in Major League Baseball. So... And if, if tra- and if they want the translators on the mound, if that helps them feel more comfortable in America, then I'm all for it because it's awesome getting to see all the best players from Japan and Cuba and and everywhere else playing America. So I am all for the translators if that helps get more great players into Major League Baseball. So back to the Phillies. Before we got sidetracked by Michael Schmidt and Jerry Remy and all of that, They've won four games in a row. Two came against San Francisco. Two more recently came against Atlanta. And on Tuesday night, Aaron Nola pitched a really great game, which is great news for the Phillies because he has the potential to be a very important part of this team's future. He had a couple of rough starts recently, but he bounces back eight innings of one-run ball to lead the Phillies to a win over the Braves. So that's great news for them. And Also on the field, Herrera has been crushing the ball lately since the start of June in four games. He has seven doubles and two home runs this month in only four games. That's more than two extra base hits per game. He's been absolutely crushing it. This guy, again, 25 years old, expected to be a big part of Philadelphia's future. It's really good for Phillies fans to see him coming around. He had a really rough first two months, so... Herrera and Nola, two Phillies players to keep an eye on as they look to speed up the rebuilding process that looked like it had hit a snag earlier this season. So that's it for the National League East. Lots of weird stuff going on with Coda Glover and Michael Schmidt and Odebel Herrera. One thing I forgot to mention about the Marlins, Justin Bohr, who we talked about last week being a really important part of the team. He now has a bone bruise in his ankle. He was... Uh, playing so well, so it's a, it's a tough blow for Miami, and Tyler Moore, the former Nationals bench piece, has begun to fill in at first base for them. So, the Mets aren't the only team with problems, although the Mets might have bigger problems than some of these other teams, certainly bigger problems than Washington right now, but that is your tour of the National League East. This is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio. on a first-round pick should be a no-brainer, but just as critical are the diamonds in the rough, the players that go unnoticed in later rounds or beyond and turn out to be of high value. Here are the five greatest draft steals in Mets history. We start, as always, with number five, Jacob deGrom. Once a shortstop at Stetson University, deGrom, the 272nd selection by the Mets in the 2010 draft, quickly adapted to being a major league pitcher. He was stellar against the Yankees in his debut in May 2014. He then went on to win nine games that year and be named the National League's Rookie of the Year. He followed that up with an All-Star appearance in 2015 and, of course, remains a mainstay on the Mets' starting staff. Next, at number four, it's an old friend, Daniel Murphy, a 13th round choice back in 2006. He's best remembered in Queens for what he did in October 2015, but his entire Mets career was nothing to overlook. Over seven years, he recorded 967 hits, including 188 in 2013, and batted 288. His fielding and base running decisions were, at times, very questionable, but his consistency at the plate made up for it. 
What has become of Murph since he left New York? That's better left unsaid. Now on to number three. Unfortunately, it's another player we let go far too soon, Nolan Ryan. In the first year of MLB's amateur draft in 1965, Ryan was chosen by the Mets in the 12th round. He became the standard for pitching longevity and power. When he finally retired in 1993, he was, and remains, the all-time strikeout king, had 324 victories, and 7 no-hitters. Unfortunately, much of this did not happen in New York. Before departing after the 1971 season, he compiled 493 Ks over 510 innings, saved the clinching game of the 1969 NLCS, and earned a save in Game 3 of that year's World Series. But the Mets weren't willing to wait another year for him to develop and marshal his control issues, and he was dubiously dealt to the Angels for Jim Fergosi. Another player who was part of one of the Mets' worst trades was Lenny Dykstra, the number two draft steal on our list. A spark plug at the top of the order in 1986, Dykstra, a 13th round selection in 1981, set a team record with 37 doubles in 87. He also stole 27 bases, adding to the 31 he swiped the previous year. As important as those numbers are, they pale in comparison to the critical home runs he provided in postseason play. From the walk-off homer in Game 3 of the 86 NLCS against Houston to the lead-off homer in Game 3 of the World Series against Boston. Now to number one, and arguably the most underrated player the Mets have ever had, Edgardo Alfonso. Fonzie doesn't have a particular draft round attached to him, because he was never drafted. The Mets snatched him up as an undrafted free agent in February 1991 made it to the big leagues at age 21 in 1995, and was a 315 hitter in 1997. During his eight years in New York, Alfonso tallied more than 1,100 hits, more than 200 doubles, had a 292 batting average, was solid in the field both at second base and third base, and was a key factor in the Mets' consecutive playoff appearances in 1999 and 2000. That's all for now. Here's hoping for a good draft steal or two, or three, come next week. I'm Brian Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at BrianWright86. I think the Mets have finally broken me. So, congratulations, boys. I'm giving up on you. Last night, Tuesday night, was such a disaster. It was such bad baseball, and I don't know if Jacob deGrom isn't healthy or is bad now or whatever is happening with him if that's real i don't know how the season continues because seth lugo and steven Matz are coming back that doesn't make up if jacob agram can't pitch and without that you can hit as much as you want but if you're losing to dylan g in a pitching matchup you've just got to go home and get and just think about what you've done they're 12 and a half games back in the division. They're tied with the Braves. They're tied with the Braves nine games back in the wild card. Cespedes is who the heck knows at this point. I genuinely don't know if he's what's happening there. I think yesterday they said he was running, which, you know, sure, he was supposed to DH in the Texas series, but yeah, he started jogging again in the outfield. It's just, Granderson's looked better. Jay Bruce still can't hit the ball. We're like one more 0 for 4. Wilmer Flores game away from starting third baseman Jose Reyes again. So, genuinely, I don't know. It's been a bad week, folks. And I think, I think it might be time to reconsider this season. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. We also appreciate if you go to AmazingAfternoon.com and read all the stuff that we write about the Mets. We have game recaps. We have news. We have analysis. We have lots of fun stuff. You can also find the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, that is at Amazing Avenue. 
You can email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. We have one email waiting for next week, and we'll hopefully add a few more if you nice people send us emails, so please do so. We would also love it if you went to iTunes. Or, sorry, now it's called Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Those Apple Podcast ratings and reviews really, really do help. So if you have a free minute this week and you can do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And finally, you can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. Jeff is at Jeff Paternostro. Kate is at Kate E. Feldman. Brian Wright is at B. Brian Wright 86. Uh, Aaron York is at Aaron P. York. So, again, if we are going to uh, get a big crowd on Monday, we need you to come. We need you to come to the Mets game on Monday. Hang out with us. Again, tweet at myself or Chris for details. And uh, until then, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.